You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Just in case I don't know who I am, my name is Nathan. I am one of the leaders here at Rail City. And uh, Cam, who is the campus pastor uh, of this uh, campus, he's actually not here, but he's in Israel right now where it's not rainy, but it's sunny, and there's all the locations that he gets to go to, and uh, it's just a time for him and the pastoral team to visit all the cities, uh, all the biblical locations, connect the dots for him and say, hey, look, this is about Jesus. And so he has this opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, and right then and there, the eunuch gets baptized. He gets baptized. (laughs) So anyways, as we... uh, see these life-changing events uh, within our own lives, Acts has this story where there's this paradigm shift that takes place. There's an event that happens which changes the trajectory of how things are. A paradigm shift. Now, there's a definition for what that is, as we see up here. It's an important change that happens when the youth... So, if you're willing and able, I'd love to invite everyone to stand up as you read this story together. Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. There, speechless, they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I pray at this moment, that our minds and our hearts, Father, would be open in hearing this story, not only to hear it, but to be invited into it. In whatever way you may be speaking, Father, we are here. Thank you for this day. I thank you for my friends. In your name, amen. You may take a seat. That was a long passage. Hopefully you weren't standing for too long. But <laughs> So we see, and this reminds me of two characters in TV shows you might, uh, you might uh, be familiar with. The first one is uh, the show called The Mandalorian. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll understand this. And so The Mandalorian is a cool-looking character. Uh, and doing whatever it takes to find his target, to find the person that he was supposed to get. And so this right here, these two characters, this is Saul. This is Saul. He was a man who would go far and wide to hunt down any Jesus follower within the early church. His sole mission was to stop them. And so if that wasn't enough, he was also a Pharisee, and a Pharisee uh, and a Sadducee. He was a Pharisee on the way to see a high priest, and the high priest was a Sadducee. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there were two different Jewish groups that had their differences. Uh, and it was very uncommon for them to partner together. But for Saul, he, would put, he was willing to put aside his differences so that they can partner together to stop the real threat that he saw. And that was Jesus. That was this Jesus movement. 
To do this, he was seeking for greater authority to imprison any Jesus follower. But not only was his heart to imprison them, he would actually would want to see them killed. He would want to see them executed. Now, why does Saul hate Christians? Well, Saul, he's, he's an educated man. He's a Pharisee like his father before him. Uh, he was the top of his class. As a young man, he had many moral achievements, religious achievements, and different uh, legal achievements, and where he was just the top of his class. He was the best of the best. Now, for Saul, he grew up uh, being very familiar with the Jewish law, and he saw the Jewish law as a system in which we are to follow, and that is how we are made right before God. What? A story about a risen Messiah? Someone who died and was raised back to life three days later? One who fulfills the law and offers us grace? It can't be. We're under the law. We need this system. This is how we're made right before God. A risen Messiah, it can't be. This is false. We have to stop it. But there's a paradigm shift for Saul. There's a paradigm shift in which he encounters the glory of Jesus. Saul's on the road to Damascus and, and there's this light that flashes around him. Now, on my car, in our car, uh, the Honda Civic 2007, the, the visor, the mirror part is actually broken. It's completely off. So over the summer, when I drive, when the sun hits my eyes, I just, I can't see. You know, it's really hard. Every turn I took was just, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, it's an act of faith. And, you know, obviously it's raining right now, right? And so on the rare occasion in which we get sun, uh, if you look at the sun, you'll quickly realize that the UV light, it's so powerful, it's so overwhelming, it's going to damage your retina. It's going to burn your eyes. Light in this context refers to the glory of God. That it is so powerful, it is so overwhelming. Not only does it blind Saul, but it actually knocks him back down. It knocks him back down. And he's blind. But even though he is blind, for the first time in his life, he now sees. Jesus speaks to him and he asks him this question. Why are you persecuting me? Now that's an interesting question. Well, was Saul really persecuting Jesus? I thought he was persecuting Jesus' followers. Well, if you remember back to our Ephesians series, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we see how uh, the church is understood as the body. Well, Christ is the head. And in the Gospel of Luke, we also see Jesus say, whatever is done to you is done to me. That if they don't listen to you, they don't listen to me. If they hate you, well, they hated me first. So we see this association here that if you are a representative of Jesus, whatever is done to you, it's actually done to Jesus himself. So the question is asked, why are you persecuting me? And Saul in this moment realizes he is in the presence of the Lord. He realizes that he is before God. So he asks him this question, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Right then and there at this moment, he realizes that the evidence is undeniable, that Jesus really is the risen Messiah who came back to life. That the God he was claiming to serve was really, he was uh, not serving him, but he was going against him, that he was persecuting him. But all those who were proclaiming the name of Jesus, all those who were imprisoned, all those who were killed, they were actually right. Jesus really is the risen Messiah. There's a paradigm shift. And this is important for us because when we encounter the glory of Jesus, it's paradigm shifting. 
It is paradigm shifting. There is a fundamental change that takes place in which there is now a new way in which we now follow. Saul's thinking is replaced by a new and different way. There is a paradigm shift. This paradigm shift eventually leads him to taking the gospel, to taking the good news out into the world and to writing majority of the New Testament from, from becoming a persecutor of Jesus to pursuing Jesus, from seeing Christ as an obstacle to now seeing Christ as the way to stop the gospel at whatever cost, to now spreading the gospel at whatever cost. There is a paradigm shift that takes place and this changes everything. It changes everything. When we see God in all of his holiness, in his graciousness, in his goodness, in his mercy, in his love, when we see Jesus for all that he is, it changes us. There's a change that takes place. Now, why does this matter? Well, maybe you're here today and you're exploring the faith and you're realizing, you know what, there's more to life than this. That this Jesus person, who's the most famous person in all of human history, has significant claims about being the son of God and about being raised to life again. That if you're here today and you're thinking through, maybe there's a paradigm shift that's happening. That, that if this is true, it changes the implications of our lives. Nothing will ever be the same. Or maybe for some of you, you're a follower of Jesus already. But maybe there's some paradigm shifts that are still happening within our walk today. That maybe you, you put Jesus within this box or there's this false concepts that we put on him. Well, this was the case for Saul, that he didn't believe that Jesus could be the way that, that later in his life he would articulate that it is not through his efforts to the works of the law that made him right before God, but it is faith in Christ. Now, I resonate with that. How many times do I think that through my performance, God will accept me or love me anymore. That's not true. I still face this paradigm shift in my day-to-day -day life. And I think this is important for us to know. The story moves on from Saul encountering Jesus to a man named Ananias. And Ananias also has an encounter with Jesus. And Ananias, he was a man who was highly respected by the Jews. And he was a follower of Jesus. And so he actually would have been the perfect person to reach out to Saul. Because he as well knew the law in and out. Now what's interesting here is that we see Ananias, he, he knows the voice of the Lord. The Lord calls to him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. If you recall the I Am series that we went through, one of the I Am statements was Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And as a good shepherd, you know, the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. And in the same way as followers of Jesus, we know the voice of Jesus. If Jesus were to call, would you answer? Would you answer? My friend, he has this trick. Uh, when he goes to the mall and someone's trying to sell him something that he doesn't want, what he does, he walks and he's like, oh, oh, sorry, I have to take this call. I can't. Hello, honey? Yes, I have to do. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. You should try it. It works if you ever want to duck someone who's trying to sell you something. But as he's doing that, of course it's ridiculous. Why? Because every call has a caller. Every call has a caller. When you know the voice of the Lord, you can follow in radical obedience. You can follow in radical obedience. But to follow in radical okay, I want you to go for there. Pray for him. He's seen you in a vision. He's expecting you. I want you to go. Ananias at this moment, he's stunned. Saul of Tarsus. Oh my goodness. 
He recalls all the stories of his brothers and sisters in Christ who have been persecuted because of this man. All of his friends who, who were not only imprisoned, but even killed. And he thinks for a moment, what's Lord, is this, is this the way to go? Are you sure? I've heard the reports about this man and all that he's done to your holy people. Lord, I've heard the stories. Are you sure this is the way to go? You see, it's a radical challenge to go and minister to the man who's responsible for imprisoning your friends. But you see, when we face radical circumstances with God, it requires us to walk out in radical obedience. This is important for us because when we encounter Jesus, it challenges us to radical obedience. Encountering Jesus challenges us to radical obedience. Even when things don't make sense, when it goes completely against the way of the world, can we trust in a God who is sovereign, who knows all things, who holds all things in his hands, to step out in faith and trust in him? David asked this question last week. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to? I want to assure you, just because things are messy, just because the circumstances don't seem right or the cards are against you, it doesn't mean that God is not in it. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, it's a radical life. What? You want me to, to forgive my enemies instead of canceling them? You want me to, to be generous and give to those who are in need when everything's already so expensive? You want me to, to invite the outcast in regardless how that might affect my status? You want me to disadvantage myself to advantage the other? You want me to proclaim the name of a man who, who died and was raised to life three days later? The Christian life is a radical life. Now, as we see Ananias, he's challenging radical obedience. But Jesus answers him. He answers him. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So Jesus explains the game plan. Look, I've singled him out. Okay, I've called him out to be used for my purposes, for my plans to go and to proclaim my name. I love how the message actually uh, interprets this. Don't argue, Go. I've picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. Now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So we see Ananias, he's, he's challenged with radical obedience. But with Jesus' response to Ananias, we see him foreshadow the suffering that Saul will go through within his own journey, that he as well will actually follow in radical obedience. And it's through suffering. And suffering is a part of the Christian walk. In Matthew 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, If anyone who come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, when we set up here at Rail City, every week we set up this cross. And uh, sometimes there's one of our guys, his name's Joey, he carries the cross. And we all make a joke, oh, look at Joey. What a great Christian. He's just bearing his cross. He's carrying his cross. And for, for our context and world today, we think to ourselves that carrying our cross simply means just personal challenges or some sort of hardship you're going through in life. And while it does include that, it doesn't necessarily speak to that when Jesus says uh, to carry your cross. 
But what does it mean? Well, when Jesus says to carry your cross, he really points to this idea. One must die to his or to her own will to take up the will of God. One must die to his or to her own will to pick up the will of God. And radical obedience has suffering played out in this way. That because Jesus shifted Saul's paradigm, he'll now enter into suffering where it doesn't go from his will, but to God's will. He is no longer the authority, but it is Jesus who is the authority. And the will of God for him is to go out and to proclaim the name of Jesus. This is his calling. He challenges us to radical obedience. And this, this is hard, right? This is difficult. It's easier to follow our way instead of God's way. Hold on, you're telling me that an encounter with Jesus will flip my world upside down? Yes. You're saying that, that by encountering Jesus, we're going to face uh, radical challenges? Uh, that's right. That on top of all of that, we're going to endure suffering too? Yes. Oh, you're not really selling me on this. Well, here's a key thing to understand, especially on the topic of suffering. When you suffer, you don't suffer alone. But you have a God who picked up the cross and, and carried it. And as he carries it, he, you, he carries it with you. You don't suffer alone, but you suffer with him. And it's not for nothing because when you suffer with him, what comes out of it is intimacy. It's intimacy. I mentioned at the beginning um, the paradigm shift that we experienced was getting married. Uh, on top of that, actually another crazy story is that three days before the wedding, Christina got COVID. <laughs> she got COVID. And so all the plans, all the preparation, everything leading up to this day, just like that, it was gone. Now by God's grace, we were able to get married and we made it through. But when we look back at that time, it was a difficult time. It was a challenging time, but we can say during that time, it brought us closer. There was a deeper intimacy that came out of it, not only for us, but also for our community, for those who stepped up, who showed up and helped in the ways that they can. We look at them with confidence and say, man, that brought us closer together. And I think we can say this, you can say this within your own lives, that the closest people within your life are people whom you went through dark times with, are people who went through different challenges, different sufferings, and it, it brings you to, together, it brings you closer when you walk through with them. Saul, later in his life in Philippians, says that he wants to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his suffering. Paul, in wanting to know Christ, it's done through suffering. And as you suffer, you don't suffer alone, but you have a God who walks with you. There's, this, there's a band called King's Kaleidoscope, and uh, there's one of the lines in which uh, it talks to the perspective of Jesus, and I love what it says here. I think it captures it very well. It says this, I'm right beside you. I feel what you feel, and I'm here to hold you when death is too real. You know I died too. I was terrified. I gave myself for you. I was crucified because I love you. What radical obedience looks like for Ananias is caring for the man responsible for the imprisonment 
and death of his friends. But for Saul, it looks like suffering by carrying the name of Jesus. Ultimately, we see, well, it is God who empowers us. It is God who goes before us, who leads us and guides us. And by his presence, we know that he's always with us. We see Ananias. He enters into the house. He recognizes Saul as a brother. He calls him brother. From persecuting his brothers and sisters in Christ to becoming a brother in Christ. Trusting that Jesus has transformed his heart. And that Saul now understands Jesus as being the way. And that the risen Messiah is, is risen to life. They're now on the same team. They're now on the same team. He calls him brother. Now what's important to note is that our journey with Jesus, it's not just a me and Jesus journey, but it's actually done in community. It's done in community. I've had friends who are content listening on Spotify, worship music and a sermon and calling it good, saying, hey, this is how it can be. But that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is with Christ and it's with community. It is with community. Jesus could have just, you know, done all this to Saul and be like, hey, go on your way. Go spread the gospel. But instead, he uses Ananias. Jesus uses Ananias. It's not done, well, his conversion was done as an individual. It's not individualistic. Coming to Christ involves community. It involves one another. Here, God uses Ananias. How does he use him? Well, he uses him through prayer. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Spirit. Ananias confirms what's going on. Hey, the same Jesus who appeared to you, he appeared to me, and he sent me to pray for you. I was a bit hesitant at first, but I'm here. He told me how he was going to use you, so I, I went. And so now I'm here. So you may see and so you may be filled by the Spirit. And this is exactly what happens. This is exactly what happens. He is healed, he is filled with the Spirit, and then he gets baptized. And so there are a few things that uh, we can observe here when it comes to uh, this final piece. Is that, number one, we see Ananias pray for Saul. We see him pray for Saul. And I think for us as a community, prayer is essential. It's very important to pray for healing, to pray for others to come to Christ. That when people come to Christ, one of the ways in which they do that is through prayer. It's through talking to God. I'm convinced that if you want the best seats in the house to see God's work, like you want, house, you want the best seats in the house to see how God is working and moving, pray for people. Pray for people. See how he shows up. See how he answers prayers and, and moves and leads. Not only do we see Ananias pray for Saul, but when we see Saul in all of this experience, we see him get baptized, right? Because of this paradigm shift, he says, no longer is he team Pharisee, but he is now team Jesus. Here at CA, we say uh, what baptism is, is just uh, an expression of an inward reality of what God is doing. I butchered that. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. There you go. That's how they say it. <laughs> Over the course of Rail City, it's been a joy to, to see Kevin uh, to see Jonathan, to see Kim get baptized and declare, hey, I am team Jesus. I follow Jesus. To see that declaration has been an honor. Not only do we see that prayer is important in baptism, but we also see that Saul is filled with the Spirit. 
When you encounter Jesus, it fills you with his spirit. It changes everything. It changes everything. This means that God's very presence will be with you. Right? As Jesus, before he ascended, he promised that the Holy Spirit would be, would be sent out to all those who follow him. To go out and empower you to proclaim the name of Jesus. Regardless of the sin that you've committed in past or present or future, because of the work of Jesus, he has sent his spirit to fill those who follow him. Now maybe for some of us, that might be hard to believe. Well, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of all of this in the story? Why does God do this? Saul, his name would later get changed uh, into Paul. And later in his life, he reflects the purpose of Jesus encountering him in 1 Timothy. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Worship team, you can make your way here slowly as we close. Now, maybe for some of us here, you discount yourself coming before God. You write yourself off because you think he's not going to take me in. But here in this story, we see Jesus is more patient and is more merciful than we can ever imagine. That the story of Saul is a story of Jesus' immense mercy and patience. And this is good news because while this is the story, we are invited into that story. Not only to experience the immense mercy and patience of Jesus, but to go out and to be on mission and to proclaim the name of Jesus, to, to experience the good news and share it with others. Encountering Jesus changes everything. And this is a story that we're being invited into. This is the good news that we're being called into. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.